Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to your word. We have been richly blessed by you. You have generously poured out uh, your spirit. You poured out your word. We have everything that we need, Lord. So as we come to learn uh, about you and about what you've given us, help us, Lord, to respond with generous hearts, uh, to hear and obey, uh, not out of obligation, but out of freedom and, and gratitude for what you've given us. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week we got to talk about last week we got to talk about rest, um, how the Lord has built rest into creation, right? He worked for six days and then God rested on the seventh day. Uh, he built a purpose for this, right? It's not just that God said, "Well, humans are limited. I'm going to make sure that they have a day to rest because they need it so bad." Uh, instead, He created this purpose, uh, this day of rest, so that we can enjoy God. Uh, to teach us that the priority, right, is not the six days of rest, uh, six days of work. The priority is the day that we get to worship and enjoy God. That's the priority. Uh, so the Sabbath for Israel, right, was that little sliver of that enjoyment, that little sliver of heaven. Uh, when God's people got to worship, or be in God's presence, enjoy him, uh, and rest. Uh, but for Israel, right, there were some problems. First of all, that Sabbath was localized to one place. You had to go to the tabernacle to worship, or you had to go to the temple to worship. Um, now, however, through the cross, right, we don't have to go uh, pilgrim to Israel in order to worship God and be in his presence. Now, because of what Jesus has done, not only do we enjoy God's presence, but we get to worship him everywhere. Right? There's no one physical place that we're limited to anymore. Uh, and furthermore, right, for Israel, the pattern was you need to work for six days, and then on the seventh you rest. But as we saw with Jesus' resurrection, right, that flipped the paradigm on its head. Now instead of work and then rest, now we start off with rest, and that paves the way for how we then work for the rest of the week. It's as though Jesus on the cross has earned the rest for us, so that all the work we do right, flows out of the rest that we've been given. Uh, so uh, we talked about Sabbath, we talked about Sunday, um, and how we're actually, we're looking forward to a future rest, because even Sunday uh, is not perfect, right? It's still only one day of the whole week, uh, and what we're looking forward to is the new heavens and the new earth, which is where we can be in God's presence, enjoy Him forever. That's what we're looking forward to, anticipating, uh, hoping for. So when we talked about what does it mean to love God with our lives, right? It means having the proper understanding of rest, resting well, uh, and not doing it the way the world does it, right? The world rests by kicking their feet up, watching Netflix, playing video games, doing all the things that they have wanted to do but couldn't because they were busy doing other things, right? We don't look at rest as this break from labor. We look at rest as an enjoyment of God, a worship. And that means that, you know, those other worldly things, it's not that they're bad things, but those are not what you were created to enjoy, right? They're not going to fulfill you like God can fulfill you. So the purpose for rest uh, is not just so you can get a break, it's to enjoy God. Uh, so this week I'd like to talk about something that flows out of um, our sense of rest and peace in Christ. Uh, I'd like to talk about generosity, uh, but I want to build a foundation first. Right? We, we probably all feel that we should be generous. Uh, we kind of have a sense built into us that, yeah, giving away, helping somebody else is, is a good thing. 
Um, but we kind of end up treating it like a work often. It's something that we do. It's something that we check the box, right, instead of it being a virtue. Generosity as a virtue has more to do with the attitude of the heart. Right? Why are we generous? Why do we do things? Why do we give away? Um, so that's what I want to talk about today. And that doesn't always mean right, that the, the generous person in the room is the one who writes the biggest tithe check. That's not, that's not the heart of generosity. Um, so hopefully when we get to the end of the lesson, you don't come away thinking, man, I just need to write a bigger tithe check because uh, Isaac told me to. Um, what I want you to come away with is God has given me so much. Now, how can I give back and uh, honor God with what he's given me? But I think all of us right, have, uh, have hesitations. We have things that hold us back from being generous. Why, why do we hesitate to be generous? What are the things that hold us back uh, from being generous? We're selfish. We're selfish, okay, but... In what sense? What is, what mine is mine. Yeah. You don't want to give away what belongs to you. Why else? G? Fear. Fear um, not having enough to take care of all your needs. Yeah. Of course. That's, that's the huge one, right, is that we're afraid that if we give away, we won't have enough. So what does that end up, what does that end up sounding like? Lack of trust of God. Or we say things like, not this week. Not this month. We'll do it next month. Next month, after the paycheck hits, that's when we'll give. You know, what's the problem with that? What happens when next month comes? More problems. <laughs> More problems. <laughs> Your car breaks down. You need surgery. Or just the fact that you can barely afford spaghetti. Um, we, there's always going to be some, something that you could spend your money in other than giving it. And I'm, again, I'm not just talking to giving to the church. What holds us back from being generous with our time? Why, why are we stingy with our time? Laziness. Laziness, definitely part of it. Scarcity. Scarcity, what do you mean? Sure. So it's maybe depends on where your priorities lie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could end up doing a cost-benefit analysis, right? I'm spending too much time helping people. I need to spend more time at work so I can earn more money or something. Or my family is suffering and I need to spend more time with my family. Or probably the more selfish things are I need more me time. I don't have nearly enough me time. So why else are we stingy with our time? What do we usually, when we're, when we're focused on our own time and how we're using it, um, what are we not doing? What are the things that usually go undone? Who do you spend time with when you're stressed? People who make you feel good, right? If you're stressed, you don't want to spend time with somebody who sucks energy out of you. 
Right? You want to spend time with people who make you feel good and who can either take away the stress or who can help you through the problem, um, stuff like that. When we're stressed, right, we revert to not giving but taking. We become people who want to take others' time and others' energy because we feel like we don't have enough. Does that, does that track? Do you guys see that in yourselves? Or am I just you know, saying a bunch of random stuff that doesn't make any sense? Yeah? See a couple nods, okay. Um, so how, let's ask this question then. Why are we so focused on keeping money and time and energy for ourselves? Yeah, I think that's really, really important. We don't, we, we see it as belonging to us. Charlie? Our value is in our work and our success, mm-hmm. which is why it's hard to be generous. We're consumed with things below, earthly treasures, notoriety, fame, glory, whatever you want to Yeah, we want the glory. We want to do it in our own time, with our own energy, with our own money. And when we give things away, we feel like we don't have enough in order to use for our own glory. I think it boils down to um, where do we get our security? What what makes you feel secure? Is it when your bank account is nice and big and fat and your credit card's paid off? Do you feel secure? Do you feel secure when you feel like you have enough time to get things done? Do you feel secure when you've got enough sleep and you feel energized? All right, we can focus so much on being secure that these are the things that we, work, that we focus on. But there's a nice psalm that maybe you guys have heard of this psalm. Uh, psalm 127, again, it's in the outline. I put again because this is like the, I don't know, 127th time I've referred to it. Um, but I love this psalm. Like, I, it's, it's hard to get enough of this psalm. But let me read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here's the, here's the verse. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Last week we talked about how our focus on rest is, is vanity, right? Because where does rest come from? It comes from God. But also look at what it says about eating the bread of anxious toil. I think what the psalmist is referring to is our, is our sinful tendency to try to earn security for ourselves. We want to earn the right to sleep, to eat, to have a house, to have a safe place, Right? All these things are images of security. Right? We feel secure when we have enough food, when, our, when we have a place to sleep, right? when we are the ones in charge of our lives. That's at least what we think we need to feel secure. But like we talked about, what happens when next month comes? There's more problems. There's never a point where we actually are like, okay, now I feel secure. Whew! You know? The point is, that anxious toil will not earn security. Anxious toil will not earn security. 
It's because we think we're in control that we do this, right? We think we're in control, and so we, we work harder, or we try more. Or, in the context of generosity, right, we think we're in control of our lives, so we try to save more for ourselves. We try to keep more for ourselves so that we can have a sense of security. Your time, your money, your energy, those are the things that will bring you security, and so you try to hoard them up. That you have enough. But what would it look like to completely trust God with your security? What would that even look like? I think we all would say, you know, I should trust God completely with my security. Right? But in real life, what does that look like? Does that mean, okay, just go chillax on the couch, God's got this? G? Well, it means that you feel a contentment with your immediate circumstances. You still have to work. You still have to clean. You still have to fix the food. But if you're trusting God to provide, you're content with whatever you have at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Contentment. Right? You're not stressed that dinner is going to be, you know, it's not going to be a five-star dinner. It's okay. It's okay if it's spaghetti. You know, it's okay if it's, if it's ramen noodles, um, which for, you know, you college-age kids, I know you're eating ramen noodles all the time. I used to eat in college. I would make chicken tenders and, like, instant biscuits for myself. That was, like, my dinner, like, for three months straight. Super healthy. Um, but trusting God means that we're okay with where we're at. You know, it doesn't mean that we're looking at chicken tenders and, and instant biscuits and saying, this is it. You know, this is, this is peak life. But we're also saying, this is what God has provided for today, and it's enough. It's looking at your bank account and saying, this is enough for today. Even if that account is negative, even if you're in debt, Right? We think that being contentment means that our bank account has to be positive, our debt has to be paid off, there has to be enough food, our house has to be clean, our kids have to be well-behaved, then we can be content. What does Scripture say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. Right? All of these things, when we focus on them, we lose them. That's the irony. Right? When you try to get security for yourself, you lose it. Because it's not in the physical things. It's not in your material goods. It's not in your, your house or your lives or your bank accounts. Your security, it comes from God. For he gives to his beloved sleep. That's where our security comes from. But how else does trusting God um, with your security, how else does it, what else does that look like practically? So one thing is contentment, right? Being okay with what God has given you today. What else? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It enables, it gives you the freedom Say, okay, if this is where God is leading me, it may not look like the safe path, but it's where God is taking us, and we're going to go. We're going to trust God, and we're going to do it. 
You know, open that business or start that new job or move to that new place if God is leading you there. I'm not saying move away from Reformation, not yet. Um, but yeah, it means how do we make our decisions? What do we prioritize? If we're trusting God, our priorities will be different. Right? If your priorities are, I need to make sure that I have the biggest paycheck and, and a clean house and a, lots of food and all the security and comforts, if that's what you're prioritizing, yeah, you're going to make decisions based on that. You're going to move to a place that has that opportunity or that job. You're going to try to earn these things for yourself. You're going to try to find them. But what does God prioritize? Does God prioritize you having a big paycheck? Yeah. God's priorities are focused on other people. Not on yourself. God prioritizes how you love and serve and care for those around you. <laughs> oh, man. I promise, Garen, I did not write this with you in mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's also, how else does this trusting God change the things that you do, right? It, that was the worst way to ask that question. Um, Can I go back to what Steve said? Sure, of course. Yeah. The cost of, the incredible cost of having children. Yeah. Dog instead of children. You know, stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the cost of diapers year by year and what it takes to raise a kid to 18, you're like, okay, sure. Sure, maybe I'll just have a dog instead. But like... No. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to have kids, right? That God says, have kids or else. But Scripture over and over again shows the positive of having kids, right? Here's the blessing that kids are um, because they stretch you, right? And they force you to not focus on making sure that all your ducks are in a row because kids will ruin your house, empty your bank account, you know, suck up all your time and energy, eat all your food, right? If you want to be secure, don't have kids. If you want to be secure in a worldly sense, Right? But if you want to enjoy the blessings God gives, yeah, have kids. They will teach you what it looks like to trust God. They will force you to trust God. Yeah, I love Psalm 127's tying together of work and rest and labor and all that with kids. Like, It's genius. Uh, another way that trusting God changes how we approach life is admitting and acting like your time and your uh, money and your energy don't belong to you. Right? If you think it belongs to you, you're going to buy things that you want, spend your time how you want to spend it, work and labor at the things you want to work and labor at. God says, no, no, these don't belong to you. Uh, I think of that parable of um, the servants who were given a talent. Right, One buried it, one was made safe investments, and the other did risky investments but made a big return. Right, And there's, 
couple of different ways you could take that parable. One is, what do we do with the gospel? Right? But I think another is, what do you do with the, th- with the gifts God has given you? Including time and money and energy. Do you bury them and, and use them for yourself and try to hide them? Or are you generous and recognizing that it's not your talent? It doesn't belong to you in the first place. It's not yours to use the way you want to use it. It's yours to use for God's glory. So as, as much as it is a gift, right, to have energy, to have time, to have money, uh, we can't be focused on, this belongs to me and I'm going to use it how I want. We have to ask, God has given me this for a purpose. What is that purpose? You know, it's, it's happened in my life where God will, you know, deposit some amount of money in my bank account randomly, uh, either a gift or something happens, you know, I'm just like, wow, why did I have all this money? And then someone else's need comes up. And I'm like, oh, God gave it to me so I could use it for this and bless someone else. Or an unexpected expense came up and God was like, here, this is for you to use for this purpose. Like Masha and I got our hospital bill for solo, right? This amount that we're like, okay, how are we going to pay this? This is crazy. And then... Like, I think a week later, God gave us, not exactly, but God gave us almost all of the entire money to pay it off. You know, trusting God means that you need to trust that he's going to provide. Because in our own human way, right, we look at a problem and say, there's no way this can be solved. But I think we, we get focused on, this belongs to me, instead of, this is God's gift to use for his glory. So let's ask this question because, you know, part of the American dream is to pull, you up by, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Earn enough money to get the good house, the picket fence, the dog, the two and a half children, right? Uh, to have this image of security and wealth and prosperity. But let's ask this question. According to scripture, is it better to be rich or is it better to be poor? Which is better in Scripture? It all depends on your attitude. Okay. And your heart. Possibly. You can be rich because God has blessed you and you and are a giving individual. You can be poor and have a rotten attitude, jealous Absolutely. Of Absolutely. True. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me ask it a little bit different. Is it easier, according to Scripture, to be rich or to be poor? Which is easier? Poor. poor. I think it's easier to, to recognize your dependence on God. Yeah. Yeah, and in a flippy-floppy, not-according-to-the-world's-wisdom kind of way, being poor is actually easier. Why? Because you, you know your dependence. It's incredibly, painfully obvious that tomorrow is not on, if God doesn't provide, you won't have anything. So you're just dependent on God to provide. What's the danger with being rich? Having enough. Trusting in yourself. Yeah. Having your security in yourself and in the things that you have. 
You look at all your worldly goods and you say, yeah, tomorrow's covered, no problem. We forget that that could all go away in an instant. Right? Sarah? Sure, yeah, because you've gotten so used to being comfortable. Who, who in Scripture does, which, which class, the righteous or the wicked, does God make comfortable? The wicked. So if you're comfortable, you should start saying, wait a minute, um, where am I spiritually? I think it's Psalm 73, the, the psalmist looks at the wicked and he says, they have all the comforts, they literally eat till their eyes bug out, they don't have enemies, and they are the ones who oppress people. Like It's like they can do whatever they want, they have all the worldly comforts, and yet me, the righteous person trying to do it the right way, I am getting all the discomforts. My life is awful and hard, why? This is like the reverse of how it should be. And then the psalmist goes to the temple of God, and he says, and then I went to God, and then I saw where those paths lead. The path of comfort and riches, it actually leads to slipping and falling and destruction. It's actually the path of righteousness that is hard and rocky and covered with bumps, and yet that's actually the path to salvation. Or think of Jesus, right? Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get to heaven. That should make us stop and say, okay, do I actually want to be rich? Do I want to make it harder for myself to get into heaven? Is that what I'm prioritizing in this life? And and to be clear, right, the scripture does not say that being rich itself is, is sinful. Having money is not sinful. It's actually a blessing. But again, like Gary said, it's how you use it. It's one thing to be rich, but the why it's so hard to be rich is because we get clouded. We get blinded by our riches to rely on ourselves, to trust ourselves, to use it for our own glory. Instead of Jesus saying to the rich young man, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And he went away sad because he had great possessions. Jesus also said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Yeah. It's a matter of priorities in life. Yeah. Yeah. So if, we're, if we want riches, I think our priorities are skewed. So this is how this builds into this sense of generosity, Right? Um, what, what Proverbs says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. That's Proverbs 14, 30, where is it? Proverbs 30, 14, 31. So why does God call us to be generous? Why is being generous honoring to God? In what way? Well, 
generous to us. Yeah. Merciful to us, and he expects us to be the same to others. Yeah. Think of the, the parable of the person who had all his debts forgiven. He owed like $2 trillion. It's all wiped off. And then he goes and oppresses a dude who owes him like 25 bucks. Right? If we're to imitate what we have been given, the blessings that we have received, it doesn't look like going off and, and oppressing other people. It looks like well, forgiving debts, right? Being quick to, to forgive, quick to use our money and our time and our energy for the good of others. Right, so it, it imitates God's character to be generous. It's actually honoring to the Lord uh, because it's recognizing what God has done. It's admitting that God has blessed me more than I can ever understand. And my bank, my bank account is one of the smallest blessings I've received. Right, my time is, is one of the smallest blessings I have. Because what's the big blessing? Salvation. What is that? What, what is that? The big blessing, right, is that we now have eternal security. Think about that. If you're in Christ, your eternity is secure. So why are we so afraid to give away the little things that we have in this life? when we have eternity secured for us. There's another example in the Gospels of Jesus uh, at the temple. Um, and all these rich people are coming and donating their tithes, right? They're writing their checks out, $1 billion, $2 billion, putting it in the box, strutting around, yeah, I donated $1 billion, look how great I am. And this poor little widow comes up and she drops two pennies in. And Jesus says, look at her. She's the example I want you to imitate. Why? Because that was all she had. Those billionaires gave, you know, 1% of their wealth. Great job. But it's the widow who gave all that she had that Jesus says, it's her faith that you should imitate. Why? Because she gave it all because she trusted in God. So I'm not saying that you need to get out your checkbooks and worship today and donate your entire bank account. That's not the point. Because generosity is not a work that you do. The point is, we need to look at our own hearts and evaluate, why am I not like the widow? Why am I so afraid to give? And not just, not just money. Right? Why are we so afraid to give away our time? Why do we give our time to people who have something to give us? Instead of using it to bless people who have nothing to offer us. Why do we only use our energy for ourselves in our own pursuits? Instead of saying, how can I use my energy to bless my family, to bless my church, to bless the people around me? My generosity doesn't flow from, one sec, 
Uh, generosity doesn't flow from a large income or having an abundance. Generosity flows from a deep trust in God and relying upon his security. Charlie. Yeah. I feel like there's, that speaks to what you're, what you're talking about, being afraid to give up of our time, expecting favors in return, um, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Now, I know what you're all thinking, right? If I give away all my money, or all my time, or all my energy, my family's going to starve, uh, everything's going to fall apart, and life will be awful, right? If you donated your entire bank account today, your family would go hungry. Well, Scripture has two things to say. Uh, First, the Scripture says, yeah, don't starve your family. (laughs) The one who doesn't take care of their relatives and their family members is actually neglecting the faith. They're actually not following God's principles. So don't put your family in jeopardy because you have this righteous crusade to give away all of your money. But at the same time, and here's, here's the rub, right? At the same time, Scripture also says the birds of the heavens, they don't store up anything. They don't save up for the winter. And yet, they always have enough. How? Because God takes care of them. Right? It's, it's interesting to me that Scripture, as far as I know, right, Scripture never commands saving. As far as I know, maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I know, Scripture never commands saving. Paul talks about the Corinthians about storing up. Does he? Okay, then maybe I'm completely wrong. The whole purpose is forgiving. Okay. Sure, maybe there's... Okay, so I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, the, the point is still the same. Right? What's commanded of us? It's to use what we have because the stuff that we have is not just to sit around. It's not just to sit somewhere and be buried so that it's safe and that we never have to worry that we have the security in it. But instead, God calls us to be generous, right? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Right? It's not about making sure that we have enough. It's about giving and trusting that God will give us what we need. It's interesting when Christ sent out the, the disciples to heal the sick and preach the gospel. He said, freely you, he said, freely you have received, freely give. Yeah. It's all tied together. Yeah. Freely we've received, so let's freely give. So how do we get generosity wrong? I think we're going to get rewards if we're really good and give away stuff. Yeah, there's going to be rewards. We think that we're earning something. 
God owes us because we gave a lot to the church. Why else? How, do we, how else do we get generosity wrong? Yeah. Yeah. To earn some sort of notoriety of being the big giver. Um, yeah, it's, I forget, is there, a, I forget what passage it is, or if there is a passage, but about not letting, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't quote passages that I don't remember, um, but yeah, scripture has the, that absolutely, that focus on don't pray in public in order to gain people's respect, you know, don't. Use all of your time and money and energy publicly so that people say, oh, wow, what a huge giver that, that person is. Um, and that's especially potent for their society, right? Because the people who wanted notoriety, they, they just would fund a public work. Uh, you would build an aqueduct or you'd build a bathhouse or you'd build something and get your name plastered on it. To say, Leviticus, that's a book of the Bible, Jeremiahicus, wow cannot do Bible names. Aaron built this bathhouse, right? Look how great he is. What a wonderful person he is. He contributed to society. And scripture says, don't be like that person. Be the kind of person who does not do it for glory, doesn't do it so that their name gets to be recognized and plastered. Uh, here's, here's, this, here's an example of you know, what this would look like um, you know how, like, when it's a rich person's birthday party, they all bring, like, these huge gifts for each other. You know, all the, all the Kardashians get together, and they gift each other these, like, expensive cars and watches and yachts and condos and sky rises and all that stuff. Like, isn't that, it's hilarious that all these rich people give these lavish gifts to each other, right? Instead of using it for the poor or people who actually need it, they give these incredibly lavish and generous gifts to each other. And we can easily look at that and be like, man, isn't that so stupid? But why do we do the same thing? Not just with our money, but with our time and with our energy. We give generously to the people that we like. We spend time with the people that we want to spend time with, who make us feel good. We have our crew, our friend group. That's who we spend all of our time with, all of our energy towards. It's like the rich people giving lavish gifts to each other because we know that it's going to go both ways. But if we really want to follow God's heart, we need to ask the question, who did Jesus give generously to? When he was on earth, who did he spend his time with? Who did he devote his energy towards? The nobodies, the lepers, the outcasts, the worthless, people nobody else wanted to touch. If you want to follow God's heart, give your time and your energy and your money to people who don't deserve it and who can't give it back. That's following God's heart. And not grumpily, right? Not because we... If I don't do this, God is going to be mad at me. 
but it flows from that heart of trusting God's security and being content in what God has given us. That's sufficient for today is its own troubles. We don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow is secured in Christ. So as we look at God's character, we see God's generosity. That is why we can be generous. It's because God was first generous to us. He didn't withhold anything from us. Nothing that belonged to him did he keep for himself. Right? Jesus was king of heaven. He had all the glory and all the honor. He had everything. And he gave it all up to be a human baby in a manger with all the goats and all the cows. And he even gave his own life. Everything that he had, he gave for you. So may he grow us in grace to be willing uh, and to trust him to give everything we have for him. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we pray and, and close and uh, have some time of fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the treasure that you have stored up for us in heaven. Forgive us, Lord, for focusing on the treasures of this life that are worthless, for trying to store up for ourselves and find our security in this life. Lord, we confess all this because we know that we need your help, we need your mercy. May you humble us, as difficult as we know that is. May you help us to trust you, to remember that if you have earned our security for us, for eternity, how much more will you provide day by day? Give us this faith, Lord, to trust you and to see what you're doing by your grace. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.